section seven of sherman's march to the sea and the burning of columbia south carolina from his memoirs by william tecumseh sherman this librivox recording is in the public domain section seven chapter twenty three campaign of the carolinas partial we all remained strung along this railroad till the ninth of february the seventeenth corps on the right then the fifteenth twentieth and cavalry at blackville general slocum reached blackville that day with gary's division of the twentieth corps and reported the fourteenth corps general jeff c davis's to be following by way of barnwell on the tenth i rode up to blackville where i conferred with generals slocum and kilpatrick became satisfied that the whole army would be ready within a day and accordingly made orders for the next movement north to columbia the right wing to strike orangeburg en route kilpatrick was ordered to demonstrate strongly toward aiken to keep up the delusion that we might turn to augusta but he was notified that columbia was the next objective and that he should cover the left flank against wheeler who hung around it i wanted to reach columbia before any part of hood's army could possibly get there some of them were reported as having reached augusta under the command of general dick taylor having sufficiently damaged the railroad and effected the junction of the entire army the general march was resumed on the eleventh each corps crossing the south edisto by separate bridges with orders to pause on the road leading from orangeburg to augusta till it was certain that the seventeenth corps had got possession of orangeburg this place was simply important as its occupation would sever the communications between charleston and columbia all the heads of column reached this road known as the edgefield road during the twelfth and the seventeenth corps turned to the right against orangeburg when i reached the head of column opposite orangeburg i found giles a smith's division halted with a battery unlimbered exchanging shots with the party on the opposite side of the edisto he reported that the bridge was gone and that the river was deep and impassable i then directed general blair to send a strong division below the town some four or five miles to effect a crossing there he laid his pontoon bridge but the bottom on the other side was overflowed and the men had to wade through it in places as deep as their waists i was with this division at the time on foot trying to pick my way across the overflowed bottom but as soon as the head of column reached the sand hills i knew that the enemy would not long remain in orangeburg and accordingly returned to my horse on the west bank and rode rapidly up to where i had left giles a smith i found him in possession of the broken bridge abreast of the town which he was repairing and i was among the first to cross over and enter the town by and before the time either forces or giles a smith's skirmishers entered the place several stores were on fire and i am sure that some of the townspeople told me that a jew merchant had set fire to his own cotton and store and from this the fire had spread this however was soon put out and the seventeenth corps general blair occupied the place during the night i remember to have visited a large hospital on the hill near the railroad depot which was occupied by the orphan children who had been removed from the asylum in charleston we gave them protection and i think some provisions 
the railroad and depot were destroyed by order and no doubt a good deal of cotton was burned for we all regarded cotton as hostile property a thing to be destroyed general blair was ordered to break up this railroad forward to the point where it crossed the santee and then to turn for columbia on the morning of the thirteenth i again joined the fifteenth corps which crossed the north adisto by snilling's bridge and moved straight for columbia around the head of Kaukau swamp orders were sent to all the columns to turn for columbia where it was supposed the enemy had concentrated all the men they could from charleston augusta and even from virginia that night i was with the fifteenth corps twenty-one miles from columbia where my aide colonel audenrieg picked up a rebel officer on the road who supposing him to be of the same service with himself answered all his questions frankly and revealed the truth that there was nothing in columbia except hampton's cavalry the fact was that general hardy in charleston took it for granted that we were after charleston the rebel troops in augusta supposed they were our objective so they abandoned poor columbia to the care of hampton's cavalry which was confused by the rumors that poured in on it so that both beauregard and wade hampton who were in columbia seemed to have lost their heads on the fourteenth the head of the fifteenth corps charles r wood's division approached the little congaree a broad deep stream tributary to the main congaree six or eight miles below columbia on the opposite side of this stream was a newly constructed fort and on our side a wide extent of old cotton fields which had been overflowed and was covered with a deep slime general woods had deployed his leading brigade which was skirmishing forward but he reported that the bridge was gone and that a considerable force of the enemy was on the other side i directed general howard or logan to send a brigade by a circuit to the left to see if this stream could not be crossed higher up but at the same time knew that general slocum's route would bring him to columbia behind this stream and that his approach would uncover it therefore there was no need of exposing much life the brigade however found means to cross the little congaree and thus uncovered the passage by the main road so that general wood's skirmishers at once passed over and a party was set to work to repair the bridge which occupied less than an hour when i passed over with my whole staff i found the new fort unfinished and unoccupied but from its parapet could see over some old fields bounded to the north and west by hills skirted with timber there was a plantation to our left about half a mile and on the edge of the timber was drawn up a force of rebel cavalry of about a regiment which advanced and charged upon some of our foragers who were plundering the plantation my aide colonel audenried who had ridden forward came back somewhat hurt and bruised for observing this charge of cavalry he had turned for us and his horse fell with him in attempting to leap a ditch general wood's skirmish line met this charge of cavalry and drove it back into the woods and beyond we remained on that ground during the night of the fifteenth and i camped on the nearest dry ground behind the little congaree where on the next morning were made the written orders for the government of the troops while occupying columbia these are dated february sixteenth eighteen sixty five in these words 
general howard will cross the saluda and broad rivers as near their mouths as possible occupy columbia destroy the public buildings railroad property manufacturing and machine shops but will spare libraries asylums and private dwellings he will then move to winsboro destroying en route entirely that section of the railroad he will also cause all bridge trestles water tanks and depots on the railroad back to the watery to be burned switches broken and other destruction as he can find time to accomplish consistent with proper celerity these instructions were embraced in general order number twenty six which prescribed the routes of march for the several columns as far as fayetteville north carolina and is conclusive that i then regarded columbia as simply one point on our general route of march and not as an important conquest during the sixteenth of february the fifteenth corps reached the point opposite columbia and pushed on for the saluda factory three miles above crossed that stream and the head of column reached broad river just in time to find its bridge in flames butler's cavalry having just passed over into columbia the head of slocum's column also reached the point opposite columbia the same morning but the bulk of his army was back at lexington i reached this place early in the morning of the sixteenth met general slocum there and explained to him the purport of general order number twenty six which contemplated the passage of his army across broad river at alston fifteen miles above columbia riding down to the river bank i saw the wreck of the large bridge which had been burned by the enemy with its many stone piers still standing but the superstructure gone across the congaree river lay the city of columbia in plain easy view i could see the unfinished state house a handsome granite structure and the ruins of the railroad depot which were still smouldering occasionally a few citizens or cavalry could be seen running across the streets and quite a number of negroes were seemingly busy in carrying off bags of grain or meal which were piled up near the burned depot captain de grace had a section of his twenty-pound parrot guns unlimbered firing into the town i asked him what he was firing for he said he could see some rebel cavalry occasionally at the intersections of the streets and he had an idea that there was a large force of infantry concealed on the opposite bank lying low in case we should attempt to cross over directly into the town i instructed him not to fire any more into the town but consented to his bursting a few shells near the depot to scare away the negroes who were appropriating the bags of corn and meal which we wanted also to fire three shots at the unoccupied state house i stood by and saw these fired and then all firing ceased although this matter of firing into columbia has been the subject of much abuse and investigation i have yet to hear of any single person having been killed in columbia by our cannon on the other hand the night before when woods's division was in camp in the open fields at little congaree it was shelled all night by a rebel battery from the other side of the river this provoked me much at the time for it was wanton mischief as generals beauregard and hampton must have been convinced that they could not prevent our entrance into columbia i have always contended that i would have been justified in retaliating for this unnecessary act of war but did not though i always characterized it as it deserved 
the night of the sixteenth i camped near an old prison bivouac opposite columbia known to our prisoners of war as camp salgram where remained the mud hovels and holes in the ground which our prisoners had made to shelter themselves from the winter's cold and the summer's heat the fifteenth corps was then ahead reaching to broad river about four miles above columbia the seventeenth corps was behind on the river bank opposite columbia and the left wing and cavalry had turned north toward alston the next morning viz february seventeenth i rode to the head of general howard's column and found that during the night he had ferried stone's brigade of wood's division of the fifteenth corps across by rafts made of the pontoons and the brigade was then deployed on the opposite bank to cover the construction of a pontoon bridge nearly finished i sat with general howard on a log watching the men lay this bridge and about nine or ten a m a messenger came from colonel stone on the other side saying that the mayor of columbia had come out of the city to surrender the place and asked for orders i simply remarked to general howard that he had his orders to let colonel stone go on into the city and that we would follow as soon as the bridge was ready by this same messenger i received a note in pencil from the lady superioress of a convent or school in columbia in which she claimed to have been a teacher in a convent in brown county ohio at the time my daughter minnie was a pupil there and therefore asking special protection my recollection is that i gave the note to my brother-in-law colonel ewing then inspector-general on my staff with instructions to see this lady and assure her that we contemplated no destruction of any private property in columbia at all as soon as the bridge was done i led my horse over it followed by my whole staff general howard accompanied me with his and general logan was next in order followed by general c r woods and the whole of the fifteenth corps ascending the hill we soon emerged into a broad road leading into columbia between old fields of corn and cotton and entering the city we found seemingly all its population white and black in the streets a high and boisterous wind was prevailing from the north and flakes of cotton were flying about in the air and lodging in the limbs of the trees reminding us of a northern snowstorm near the market square we found stone's brigade halted with arms stacked and a large detail of his men along with some citizens engaged with an old fire engine trying to put out the fire in a long pile of burning cotton bales which i was told had been fired by the rebel cavalry on withdrawing from the city that morning i know that to avoid this row of burning cotton bales i had to ride my horse on the sidewalk in the market square had collected a large crowd of whites and blacks among whom was the mayor of the city dr goodwin quite a respectable old gentleman who was extremely anxious to protect the interests of the citizens he was on foot and i on horseback and it is probable i told him then not to be uneasy that we did not intend to stay long and had no purpose to injure the private citizens or private property about this time i noticed several men trying to get through the crowd to speak with me and called to some black people to make room for them when they reached me they explained that they were officers of our army who had been prisoners had escaped from the rebel prison and guard and were of course overjoyed to find themselves safe with us 
i told them that as soon as things settled down they should report to general howard who would provide for their safety and enable them to travel with us one of them handed me a paper asking me to read it at my leisure i put it in my breast pocket and rode on general howard was still with me and riding down the street which led to the right to the charleston depot we found it and a large storehouse burned to the ground but there were on the platform and ground near by piles of cotton bags filled with corn and corn meal partially burned a detachment of stone's brigade was guarding this and separating the good from the bad we rode along the railroad track some three or four hundred yards to a large foundry when some men rode up and said the rebel cavalry were close by and he warned us that we might get shot we accordingly turned back to the market square and en route noticed that several of the men were evidently in liquor when i called general howard's attention to it he left me and rode toward general woods's head of column which was defiling through the town on reaching the market square i again met dr goodwin and inquired where he proposed to quarter me and he said that he had selected the house of blanton duncan esq a citizen of louisville kentucky then a resident there who had the contract for manufacturing the confederate money and had fled with hampton's cavalry we all rode some six or eight squares back from the new state house and found a very good modern house completely furnished with stabling and a large yard took it as our headquarters and occupied it during our stay i considered general howard as in command of the place and referred the many applicants for guards and protection to him before our headquarters wagons had got up i strolled through the streets of columbia found sentinels posted at the principal intersections and generally good order prevailing but did not again return to the main street because it was filled with a crowd of citizens watching the soldiers marching by during the afternoon of that day february seventeenth the whole of the fifteenth corps passed through the town and out on the camden and winsboro's roads the seventeenth corps did not enter the city at all but crossed directly over to the winsboro road from the pontoon bridge at broad river which was about four miles above the city after we had got as it were settled in blanton duncan's house say about two p m i overhauled my pocket according to custom to read more carefully the various notes and memoranda received during the day and found the paper which had been given me as described by one of our escaped prisoners it proved to be the song of sherman's march to the sea which had been composed by adjutant s h m byers of the fifth iowa infantry when a prisoner in the asylum at columbia which had been beautifully written off by a fellow-prisoner and handed to me in person this appeared to me so good that i at once sent for byers attached him to my staff provided him with horse and equipment and took him as far as fayetteville north carolina whence he was sent to washington as bearer of dispatches he is now united states consul at zurich switzerland where i have since been his guest i insert the song here for convenient reference and preservation byers said that there was an excellent glee club among the prisoners in columbia who used to sing it well with an audience often of rebel ladies sherman's march to the sea composed by adjutant byers fifth iowa cavalry arranged and sung by the prisoners in columbia prison
one our campfire shone bright on the mountain that frowned on the river below as we stood by our guns in the morning and eagerly watched for the foe when a rider came out of the darkness that hung over mountain and tree and shouted boys up and be ready for sherman will march to the sea chorus then sang we a song of our chieftain that echoed over river and lee and the stars of our banner shone brighter when sherman marched down to the sea two then cheer upon cheer for bold sherman went up from each valley and glen and the bugles re-echoed the music that came from the lips of the men for we knew that the stars in our banner more bright in their splendor would be and that blessings from northland world greet us when sherman marched down to the sea then sang we a song etc three then forward boys forward to battle we marched on our wearisome way we stormed the wild hills of resarkar god bless those who fell on that day then kennesaw frowned in its glory frowned down on the flag of the free but the east and the west bore our standard and sherman marched on to the sea then sang we a song etc four still onward we pressed till our banners swept out from atlanta's grim walls and the blood of the patriot dampened the soil where the traitor flag falls but we paused not to weep for the fallen who slept by each river and tree yet we twined them a wreath of the laurel as sherman marched down to the sea then sang we a song etc five oh proud was our army that morning that stood where the pine darkly towers when sherman said boys you are weary but to-day fair savannah is ours then sang we the song of our chieftain that echoed over river and lee and the stars in our banner shone brighter when sherman camped down by the sea toward evening of february seventeenth the mayor dr goodwin came to my quarters at duncan's house and remarked that there was a lady in columbia who professed to be a special friend of mine on his giving her name i could not recall it but inquired as to her maiden or family name he answered poyas it so happened that when i was a lieutenant at fort moultrie in eighteen forty two forty six i used very often to visit a family of that name on the east branch of cooper river about forty miles from fort moultrie and to hunt with a son mr james poyas an elegant young fellow and a fine sportsman his father mother and several sisters composed the family and were extremely hospitable one of the ladies was very fond of painting and watercolors which was one of my weaknesses and on one occasion i had presented her with a volume treating of watercolors of course i was glad to renew the acquaintance and proposed to dr goodwin that we should walk to her house and visit this lady which we did the house stood beyond the charlotte depot in a large lot was of frame with a high porch which was reached by a set of steps outside entering this yard i noticed ducks and chickens and a general air of peace and comfort that was really pleasant to behold at that time of universal desolation the lady in question met us at the head of the steps and invited us into a parlour which was perfectly neat and well furnished 
after inquiring about her father mother sisters and especially her brother james my special friend i could not help saying that i was pleased to notice that our men had not handled her house and premises as roughly as was their wont i owe it to you general she answered not at all i did not know you were here till a few minutes ago she reiterated that she was indebted to me for the perfect safety of her house and property and added you remember when you were at our house on cooper river in eighteen forty five you gave me a book and she handed me the book in question on the fly-leaf of which was written to miss poyas with the compliments of w t sherman first lieutenant third artillery she then explained that as our army approached columbia there was a doubt in her mind whether the terrible sherman who was devastating the land were w t sherman or t w sherman both known to be generals in the northern army but on the supposition that he was her old acquaintance when wade hampton's cavalry drew out of the city calling out that the yankees were coming she armed herself with this book and awaited the crisis soon the shouts about the market-house announced that the yankees had come very soon men were seen running up and down the streets a parcel of them poured over the fence began to chase the chickens and ducks and to enter her house she observed one large man with full beard who exercised some authority and to him she appealed in the name of his general what do you know of uncle billy why she said when he was a young man he used to be our friend in charleston and here's a book he gave me the officer or soldier took the book looked at the inscription and turning to his fellows said boys that's so that's uncle billy's writing for i have seen it often before he at once commanded the party to stop pillaging and left a man in charge of the house to protect her until the regular provost guard should be established i then asked her if the regular guard or sentinel had been as good to her she assured me that he was a very nice young man that he had been telling her all about his family in iowa and that at that very instant of time he was in another room minding her baby now this lady had good sense and tact and had thus turned aside a party who in five minutes more would have rifled her premises of all that was good to eat or wear i made her a long social visit and before leaving columbia gave her a half tierce of rice and about one hundred pounds of ham from our own mess stores in like manner that same evening i found in mrs simons another acquaintance the wife of the brother of hon james simons of charleston who had been miss Ragg when columbia was on fire that night and her house in danger i had her family and effects carried to my own headquarters gave them my own room and bed and on leaving columbia the next day supplied her with a half barrel of hams and a half tierce of rice i mention these specific facts to show that personally i had no malice or desire to destroy that city or its inhabitants as is generally believed at the south having walked over much of the suburbs of columbia in the afternoon and being tired i lay down on a bed in blanton duncan's house to rest soon after dark i became conscious that a bright light was shining on the walls and calling some one of my staff major nichols i think to inquire the cause he said there seemed to be a house on fire down about the market-house the same high wind still prevailed, and fearing the consequences, I bade him go in person to see if the provost guard were doing its duty. 
he soon returned and reported that the block of buildings directly opposite the burning cotton of that morning was on fire and that it was spreading but he had found general woods on the ground with plenty of men trying to put the fire out or at least to prevent its extension the fire continued to increase and the whole heavens became lurid i dispatched messenger after messenger to generals howard logan and woods and received from them repeated assurance that all was being done that could be done but that the high wind was spreading the flames beyond all control these general officers were on the ground all night and hazen's division had been brought into the city to assist wood's division already there about eleven o'clock at night i went downtown myself colonel dayton with me we walked to mr simons's house from which i could see the flames rising high in the air and could hear the roaring of the fire i advised the ladies to move to my headquarters had our own headquarters wagons hitched up and their effects carried there as a place of greater safety the whole air was full of sparks and of flying masses of cotton shingles etc some of which were carried four or five blocks and started new fires the men seemed generally under good control and certainly labored hard to girdle the fire to prevent its spreading but so long as the high wind prevailed it was simply beyond human possibility fortunately about three or four a m the wind moderated and gradually the fire was got under control but it had burned out the very heart of the city embracing several churches the old state house and the school or asylum of that very sister of charity who had appealed for my personal protection nickerson's hotel in which several of my staff were quartered was burned down but the houses occupied by myself generals howard and logan were not burned at all many of the people thought that this fire was deliberately planned and executed this is not true it was accidental and in my judgment began with the cotton which general hampton's men had set fire to on leaving the city whether by his orders or not is not material which fire was partially subdued early in the day by our men but when night came the high wind fanned it again into full blaze carried it against the frame houses which caught like tinder and soon spread beyond our control this whole subject has been thoroughly and judicially investigated in some cotton cases by the mixed commission on american and british claims under the treaty of washington which commission failed to award a verdict in favor of the english claimants and thereby settled the fact that the destruction of property in columbia during that night did not result from the acts of the general government of the united states that is to say from my army in my official report of this conflagration i distinctly charged it to general wade hampton and confess i did so pointedly to shake the faith of his people in him for he was in my opinion boastful and professed to be the special champion of south carolina the morning sun of february eighteenth rose bright and clear over a ruined city about half of it was in ashes and in smouldering heaps many of the people were houseless and gathered in groups in the suburbs or in the open parks and spaces around their scanty piles of furniture general howard in concert with the mayor did all that was possible to provide other houses for them and by my authority he turned over to the sisters of charity the methodist college 
and to the mayor five hundred beef cattle to help feed the people i also gave the mayor dr goodwin one hundred muskets with which to arm a guard to maintain order after we should leave the neighborhood during the eighteenth and nineteenth we remained in columbia general howard's troops engaged in tearing up and destroying the railroad back toward the wateree while a strong detail under the immediate supervision of colonel o m poe united states engineers destroyed the state arsenal which was found to be well supplied with shot shell and ammunition these were hauled in wagons to the saluda river under the supervision of colonel baylor chief of ordnance and emptied into deep water causing a very serious accident by the bursting of a percussion shell as it struck another on the margin of the water the flame followed back a train of powder which had sifted out reached the wagons still partially loaded and exploded them killing sixteen men and destroying several wagons and teams of mules we also destroyed several valuable foundries and the factory of confederate money the dies had been carried away but about sixty hand presses remained there was also found an immense quantity of money in various stages of manufacture which our men spent and gambled with in the most lavish manner having utterly ruined columbia the right wing began its march northward toward winsboro on the twentieth which we reached on the twenty-first and found general slocum with the left wing who had come by way of alston End of section seven. End of Sherman's march to the sea and the burning of Columbia, South Carolina, from his memoirs by William Tecumseh Sherman.